If you have a Bible with you, uh, it would be helpful uh, to uh, have it open at First Peter. Uh, just to uh, remind you, this is a letter written by Peter, uh, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ who followed him while he lived on earth. And in this letter, he is writing to the whole church scattered across the world. And he is seeking to remind believers of the wonderful inheritance that they have in Christ. And he wants to remind them of it so that they can reap all the benefits in this life now. Not the enjoyment of a comfy life, but the future expectation of a home with Christ in all eternity. And he wants to remind the believers and he wants them not to forget all that they have in Christ. Um, Sadly the case that uh, often we uh, can forget if we are a believer. A little bit later we're going to be uh, meeting around the Lord's table. And the Lord's table was instituted by Christ, uh, and he said it was so that we could remember him. And you might think, well, how how can we forget Christ? But the truth is, we do. Frequently, uh, throughout the week, we forget all that Christ has done for us if we are a believer, and all that Christ can do for us if we are not It reminds me a little bit uh, of a story um, which I heard. I I don't think it's true, but um, it made me laugh anyway. Um, But it's a story about two men who had season tickets to watch Chelsea. That's not the bit which made me laugh. Um, But they had season tickets to watch Chelsea, and uh, every Saturday or Sunday, whatever day it was, they would go to watch uh, the matches. And they noticed that next to their seats, there was an empty seat, and uh, week after week went by and the seat wasn't filled. And in the end, they went to the ticket office and asked if they could buy the seat because it seemed a waste and one of their friends could join them. And they wondered if they could buy a season ticket for that seat. But they were told uh, that, sorry, it had already been bought. Someone had purchased the season ticket for this seat and yet nobody was there. Uh, well, the season started at um, the end of the summer and they didn't see anyone for weeks. But then on Boxing Day... On the Boxing Day match, suddenly someone appeared in the empty seat. And uh, the two friends were curious, so they asked the stranger, why haven't you been here all these weeks? And the man said, don't ask. My wife got me this seat as a gift and decided to save it till Christmas. (laughs) Now that man had a season ticket. He had everything he needed, as it were, to enjoy those football matches. But he didn't, because he was not able to use that gift. And that's a little bit like lots of Christians in this world. We've been given wonderful gifts by Christ, but we don't claim it. We don't claim the promises that God has given to us. We live like paupers spiritually, when we could live like princes by claiming the promises of God. 
as I say, that doesn't mean material wealth, doesn't mean physical comfort, but there are things, there are spiritual realities we can enjoy, but so many Christians do not because we do not claim the promises that Christ has given to us. And Peter writes this letter to encourage us to claim the promises of God. And last time, if you remember, we were looking at the end of chapter 1, and Paul is encouraging the believers to love one another. Uh, In essence, he says it's better to give than to receive. Uh, Live in love with one another, and you will reap wonderful benefits from that. In chapter 2, he gives the negative side of that, if I can put it that way. Uh, In the end of chapter 1, he says, live in love. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, renounce malice and deceit. He says, renounce malice and deceit. You might wonder, well, what's malice? What does malice mean? What does Peter mean when he says, chapter 2, verse 1, therefore laying aside all malice? Well, malice is the opposite of love. Uh, Love wants the good of another person. Love enjoys good in another person. Love delights in the truth. That's what love does. Love wants to pour itself out for the benefit of someone else. Malice, on the other hand, enjoys and wants bad for another person. Uh, Malice is ill will towards someone else. Um, Imagine malice as being like a a pair of glasses. Uh, But it's a pair of glasses which doesn't help you see someone better. It causes you to see them worse. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had that experience of someone who you dislike. Uh, For whatever reason, you um, do not like this other person. And you struggle to see anything good in them because your dislike of them is so strong. That's what malice does. It diminishes whatever good is in a person and it exaggerates whatever is bad. Perhaps you've been in a meeting and there's someone else in that meeting who you dislike and they perhaps suggest an idea in the meeting. They, they voice some opinion. And before you've even processed what they've said... But before you've even really thought about their idea, you're opposed to it. Already you dislike their idea and you fight against it. Not because you don't like the idea as such, but simply because they said it. Do you ever know that feeling? Do you know people who have that feeling? That's malice. It's simply disliking another person and looking at everything they do through that lens. Uh, You dislike the way they walk. You dislike the way they talk. Uh, You dislike everything they do. And when you see them do something good, instead of rejoicing in that, you make reasons why it's not as good as it might seem. 
because you envy them. Peter goes on to speak of envy. He says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Because envy often springs from malice. Uh, it's that sour feeling we get when someone, gets, someone else gets something we want. Have you ever felt that? Um, you want something, uh, perhaps a particular job, uh, perhaps a particular car, maybe even a house. could be many different things. And someone else gets it. And you have that bitter, uh, sour feeling towards them because they are enjoying something that you wanted yourself. Or you can have the opposite feeling. Uh, You can have a glad feeling when something bad happens to another. Their house burns down. Uh, Their car breaks down. Uh, They um, suffer some catastrophe in their life or even something small inconvenience. And we have a secret delight in it because we have malice and envy in our hearts. So the Germans actually have a word for it. I'm sure many of us know it, the word, I think it's schadenfreude. And and it's the word of taking delight in the misfortune of someone else. And that's what lies behind this word envy in chapter 1. And not only does it lead, malice leads to envy, but it also leads to evil speaking. Uh, That's another word for slander. When we talk about other people behind their back to do them down, Uh, we dislike someone. Uh, We don't like them, and so what we do is behind their back, we sort of say things about them which undermine others' opinion of them. We sort of sow seeds of kind of, they're not quite as good as other people might think they are. And we do that because we have a dislike and a hatred of them, and we speak evilly of them. That's the kind of thing Peter is talking of here. And he says, renounce that. Renounce that attitude. Take those sorts of glasses off your eyes. That is not the kind of attitude which befits a believer. It's the polar opposite of love. I heard a story this last week of an eagle. This definitely is not a true story. Um, But there was once an eagle who... Um, was envious of another eagle because the eagle could fly better than he could. And one day, the envious eagle saw a sportsman with a bow and arrow. And he spoke, told you it's not a true story, he spoke to the sportsman and he said, I wish you could bring down that eagle over there. And the man said he would if only he had some feathers for his arrows. So the jealous eagle pulled one out of his wing, and the arrow was shot, but it didn't quite reach the rival bird because it was flying so high. So the first eagle pulled out another feather, then another, until he had lost so many that he himself couldn't fly. And the sportsman took advantage turned round and killed the helpless Bert. Now I hope you can see the lesson from that little story. Envy eats away at us. Malice eats away at us. 
Our dislike of others is like a festering wound, which, if not dealt with, will harm us beyond repair. Uh, There's a proverb in the book of Proverbs which says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Uh, I'm sure all of us can think of times in our life where we've had such a feeling and our bitterness towards someone else, our envy of someone else, our malice towards someone else has been like a a cancer that eats away at us. And Peter says, let it go. He says, renounce it. Take off those dark glasses. There's a better way to live. But you might ask, well, how? How can we do that? Because malice is an emotion. To some extent, we can't control it, can we? If we dislike someone, we dislike them. You can't pretend that you like someone you don't. You can't just put a kind of fake smile on your face because the feeling is still there inside. Well, the way we remove those glasses is by putting on better glasses, is by putting on glasses which help us see things more clearly. Not seeing things with those dark glasses of malice which make everything look worse in another person, but instead taking those off and putting clearer glasses on. And that's what... Peter goes on to speak of in verse 2. He says in verse 1, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the words that you may grow thereby. Peter says, take off the dark glasses of malice and instead Feed on the pure word of God. That word pure uh, could be translated sincere. Uh, It's the opposite of the hypocrisy and the deceit and the malice that we so often feel. Uh, It's completely pure and clean. Uh, There is no malice in God. That's a wonderful thought to ponder, by the way. Just ponder on that. God has no malice towards us. He hates our sin. He hates it when we ignore him. He has a righteous wrath and anger, but he bears no malice against us. Everything he tells us in his word is for our good because he has a love for us. We sometimes might not like what he says, Sometimes what God says is painful, but it's always good. There is never any malice within it. He tells us the truth that we desperately need to hear. And so Peter says, don't be blinded by your own fickle feelings, by your own hateful desires. Instead, look at life through God's word. Desire it like newborn babes. Now, there are many here 
who can relate to this uh, much more than I can. Uh, but you'll know the uh, ravenous hunger that a baby has for his mother's milk. And a newborn baby longs to drink that milk, and they need that milk. And that's the kind of attitude God says we should have for his word. Uh, God's word brings light to darkness. Uh, God's word washes away all the grime. It reveals to us what is wrong. And as I say, often that's painful. Often we don't want to see it, but that's the best thing for us. The best thing that can happen to us is for us to see the malice that exists in our own hearts, the deceit that exists in our own hearts. The worst situation to be in is to be, have a heart filled with hatred and to be completely unaware of it. To have a deceitful heart and yet to be blissfully or not so blissfully unaware of it. And God's word is the cure for it. And Peter says, desire it. Seep yourself in God's words. Look at life through what God says, and you won't be blinded by, the, by malice, by deceit, because we will see things in the way God sees things. Have you ever noticed uh, in your life how uh, if you fill up on junk food, uh, you start losing a taste for more healthy food? Uh, When you're uh, having, uh, I don't know, I'm thinking about what I like, a KFC or whatever, uh, some boiled chicken looks very unappetizing in comparison. Uh, When you have some lovely chocolate, the spinach looks much less appetizing. Generally, it looks unappetizing anyway. But if it looks far less appetizing, when you can see the chocolate instead. And we can lose an appetite for good things because we fill up on worse things. And it's like that with God's words. Uh, So often we can fill our lives with so many things on our TV screens. Uh, The films we watch, the things we listen to on the radio, or the magazines we read, or the books we read, or all these other things. And we can fill our lives with those things, and then we're surprised when God's word seems dull in comparison. But you know, the opposite's true as well. If you commit to read God's words, if you decide that you want to understand what God is saying to you, then you develop a taste for God's word. And these other things seem less attractive. Uh, I had, to a limited extent, I had this experience with, um, with cereals. You know how cereals are full of sugar? This is, um, I didn't realize this until fairly recently, but a lot of these so-called healthy sugars are jam-packed full of sugar. And I decided to sort of cut down on the amount of sugar I was eating, and uh, I got some of these like, no-added-sugar option uh, cereals. And I discovered something funny. Uh, as I was eating my muesli over a few uh, weeks and months... When I tried the cereal which had added sugar, it was distasteful. It was too sweet because my palate had started to get a flavor for less sugary food. And I started to develop a taste for that. And the other stuff wasn't so appealing 
as it was before. And it's a little bit like that with God's word. As we seep ourselves in God's word, as we desire it like newborn babies, we develop a taste for it. So Peter says, lay aside malice, lay aside deceit, put those things away and fill yourself with the word of God. And just as a practical help for that, you may have noticed as you're coming in, we do have a little um, table outside with a a number of um, literature, bits of booklets and things. And those are free for anyone to take. And a number of those are helpful to us as we seek to learn how to pray better, as we seek to learn how to read God's word better. Uh, One of the books, which again, they're free to take, uh, no questions asked, Uh, is how to read the Bible better. A very short, small little book, but it teaches us how we can read the Bible, because it is difficult. Um, The Bible was written many, many years ago, over many hundreds of years. Uh, It is foreign in many ways to the ways we think and what we're familiar with, and we need help. But it's worth putting the energy in. It's worth putting the effort in. Uh, Don't just look at it and say it's too difficult. Use resources. uh, Use books. Feel free to take whatever you like from that table and seek to understand what God's word says. And as Peter says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That's the way we grow. That's the way we develop. That's the way we become better equipped to face all the things that life can throw at us by desiring God's words and living off it. But in closing, Peter doesn't end there. At the end, in verse 3, Peter ends with a little warning, a little caution to us. Let me read verses 2 and 3 again. He says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Peter says that you will grow as you feed on God's word if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, that word translated gracious is a somewhat unusual word, or it's unusual in the context. Uh, Because that word, which we translate gracious, is actually a word which was often used of slaves and servants who did well. Uh, A good servant who was useful, who was profitable, who was helpful. Uh, A good servant. Uh, so the best word, perhaps, that we have in, our, in English to kind of describe it is it's beneficial. A beneficial servant, a, a worthwhile servant. And verse 3 is saying that's what God is like. Not saying he's like a servant, but saying he is beneficial. He is worthy. He is good. He is, as the passage says, gracious saying that God is worth it. Knowing God, learning of him, being a relationship with him is the best good that you can ever experience. 
because I'm going to shock you here, the Bible by itself is not good enough. Simply knowing your Bible alone isn't going to save you. Uh, The Pharisees, who hated Jesus, they knew their Bibles better than anyone. They probably knew their Bibles better than we do here. They studied it. They learnt it. They learnt passages off by heart. They had huge debates about the meaning of obscure small verses. They knew their Bibles well, but they hated Jesus. They rejected Jesus. And Jesus warned them. He said to them, and you can look this up in John's Gospel. He said to them, you search the scriptures, you search God's word, because in them you think you have eternal life, but it is they which testify of me. But you hate me. What Jesus was saying is, they were so busy with their noses in God's word that they didn't see where God's word was pointing. It'd be like wanting to get to London and going to the roadside and standing at the sign to London, but never getting any further. It'd be ridiculous. It'd be pointless, literally. The sign is supposed to take you somewhere else. And that's why God has given us his word to teach us about Jesus. It doesn't matter how many facts you know about the Bible. It doesn't matter how many passages of the Bible you have learned. It doesn't matter how often you read the Bible, in a sense. What matters is do you know Christ through God's words? I don't know if you noticed in the first two hymns, in fact, the first three hymns we've been singing, they all speak of Christ as living bread. Uh, he is the bread of life. He is living water. Uh, when we celebrate the Lord's table, we have the wine and we have the bread. And they're just pictures pointing towards Christ. And Peter is warning us here. He's saying you will only grow from reading God's words if you see Christ in it. If you love Christ. It is possible to love the Bible, to read the Bible, and yet not love Jesus. And let me close by asking you that question this morning. Do you love Jesus? I'm not asking, do you read your Bible? I'm not asking, do you come to church? I'm not asking how many Bible verses you know or how much theology you understand. Do you love Jesus? Are you looking forward to him coming again? Do you want to learn more about him? And if you do, when you read God's words, you will benefit from it. Because it is here that we learn about Christ. Uh, Think of the thief on the cross. Remember there were two thieves who were crucified with Jesus. One of them rejected him. The other accepted him right at the death. Now, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that thief on the cross didn't know much theology. 
Um, I don't think he could have told you much about the atonement or substitutionary, the uh, substitutionary death of Christ or um, all the other sorts of doctrines which are taught in the Bible. Uh, I suspect he knew very little about that and understood very little. But one thing he did know, he loved Jesus. Because Jesus had said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Now he never had the opportunity to delve into God's words. Uh, He died a few hours later and then he was with Christ in paradise. But had he have lived, I'm sure he would have longed to learn more about Christ in God's words. Now he's with Christ and he doesn't need the Bible because he can see Christ face to face. And one day we will as well, if we are trusting in him. And as I say, that's the challenge I'd like to close with for you. Do you love Jesus? And if you do, desire God's word. Don't be eaten up by malice. Don't be eaten up by deceit and dislike of others. But instead, feed on God's words that you might learn more of him. And that's why I've chosen as our final hymn, a hymn, it's in the service sheet, a hymn which expresses the goodness of God and of Christ. I've chosen it particularly for verse um, five, where it says, for all thy gifts we bless thee, Lord, but chiefly for our heavenly food, thy pardoning grace, thy quickening word, these prompt our song that God is good. So let's stand to sing our final hymn, Yes, God is good.